Welcome to our Nurture Natter podcast, voicing the things that matter to your community. Hi, I'm Charlotte, mum to two, founder of Nurture. I'm passionate about creating real connection and the art of bringing people together from all walks of life. I do this alongside my co-founders, Clara Wilcox and Ben Birchall. Hi, I'm Clara, a mum of two, career coach by day and a chocolate obsessed bookworm by night. Hi, I'm Ben. I've lost count of how many children I have and businesses I'm involved in, but family and community mean everything to me. Nurture Community CIC engages the community in person and online through events to reduce isolation and increase community spirit. The bi-weekly podcast Nurture Natter is hosted by the Nurture Community, a collective of souls who run a mission to help families get that wonderful balance of health, wealth and happiness, bringing communities together to inspire and support each other. Carry on the conversation with us online through our Facebook group, Nurture Natter, or use the hashtag NNPodcast on Instagram and Twitter to find us, at Nurture Ideas. Today on Nurture Natter, we're really excited to announce that we're inviting our community partners to join us in conversation about the things that matter to our community. This week, we're joined by our fabulous local community partner, Alison Worship from Worship Foods Cookery School. Hi, my name is Alison. I am the founder of Worship Food Cookery School. I have been working in food ever since I left university. At university, I studied social science. So I've always been interested in that relationship between people and food. So moving on from university, I worked in, in loads of different food environments varying from McDonald's as a, as a trainee manager, learned loads about management experience running a business there. Then moved from fast food into catering for House of Fraser, running their restaurant, then moved on into contract catering. Then got to a point in my career where I'd also I'd worked in coffee shops and thought, I, I love food and I always have loved food ever since... I don't know. I remember baking bread with my grandma, you know, and I'm not saying that that is the reason why I love food, but I think it's always played an important part in my life, probably more so than what I realised. You know, we always had a Sunday dinner. You know, dad would always cook certain things. You know, dad's speciality would be cheese on toast or beef burger (laughs) in toast, you know. And so there's always been this theme of food running through my life. And um, yeah, I decided to retrain as a teacher. I was working at a service station as a business manager running a Starbucks. And I just thought, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like love food, love people, but sort of this whole running a business for someone else is is not not for me at this moment in time. It took me quite a while to work that one out. Food, yes, definitely. Or training and educating has always been a part of it that I've absolutely loved. So I went back to university as a very mature student um, and did a PGCE. Uh, in food technology, obviously, because what else was I going to teach? There wasn't even a question. What am I going to teach? Food, obviously. And was it was it hard making that leap into retraining at that point in your life? Was or no. was, how did it feel to make to take it that step? The, that's a bold step. It was. It was like a big step to take, but because I knew that I always wanted to teach, it was all of a sudden I was free and in a situation where. 
I could do what I wanted. So it was like something that was deep within me that I knew that I needed to do. So it was more like, this is amazing. And getting this opportunity, you know, like as a mature student to go and do a PGCE, I was like over the moon, scary, challenging. Yeah, definitely. Totally. You know, going back to school, going back to school on many different levels, but it was, it was the right thing to do and it was comfortable and I absolutely loved the reading and the pedagogy and because it was the right time, you know, sort of like when your mind's open to stuff. What happened in regards to you taking a step to then set up your own business, Worship Food Cookery School? Where did that come from? I think there was a complete disillusionment about teaching. It all sort of started to change a little bit and it became very political within schools, within senior leadership. It was a challenging school where I worked, but there was never the support from the senior leaders, you know, like with the behaviour and stuff. And it was quite sort of soul destroying I'd done all this training and had all this passion to teach food but in some situations wasn't able to do so and you imagine planning out lessons especially like in a practical subject where you know you give it your all you know it's like it's not like you can just stand there and not say anything and just give them a piece of paper it's full-on hands-on you're like traveling around the classroom at good and in a what speed and so you know these kids they wouldn't always engage and there wasn't always the support from parents and senior leadership were you know could have played a bigger role but didn't and I just got to a point where it's like what am I doing and like the workplace began to be quite quite toxic you know I could plan all these lessons with my year 11s year 10s content for them you know to get the coursework done some weren't bothered and it was just so disheartening. It's like, I can't carry on like this. Quite interesting hearing that, because obviously as an adult, probably in the last sort of 10, 15 years, chefs and cooks have become celebrities. Yeah. Sort of, you know, they're the new rock star. They're the people that are on the telly and they're, you know, re- releasing books and stuff. So did you feel that wasn't translated in the classroom in terms of, of the children connecting that as a career path as well as stuff that they oh they yeah I mean definitely own. definitely I think that you know sort of within the whole of education there isn't enough emphasis on engaging in what children's interests are and so there's no aspiration and so I think it's quite difficult and I think as of the subject of like food technology so I was just cooking you know and there's this it's just cooking Joseph's people have this cooking. Like there were, but you know, I'd have the boards, you know, we'd have different people in to try and do stuff at school with the kids. But yeah, not, not being taken seriously as well, I think. You know, it's food technology, it's not science, it's not maths, it's not English, it's not pop teacher. And so, what you want to do is do my own thing. From just listening to you, and we're, we're doing this podcast while we're in the middle of lockdown, and and Charlotte and Clara and I have talked a bit on our podcasts about how more creative industries and more creative subjects have started to come to the fore now. And actually people are starting to realise that, you know, cooking is an important skill and talent to have. The arts are important things and they have a massive part of our daily life. And, you know, I I hope to some extent that that starts to influence people's, uh, whether it be school children or beyond that, people's sort of desire to be involved in more creative things in their lives and value them a bit more no creative juices it would be like unless you drew something for them you know go right draw you know draw something like that then they copy it and and it's like that because it it needs to be brought out in the children and it's just it's just finding finding that passion isn't it you know i think definitely find it and 
and pulling it, you know, because there are some kids that are naturally good at drawing, but then there are the children that are like, well, I can't draw. And so you've got like this negative sort of mindset of the child, you know, like of the children. And I think sort of like within education, we should teach more that, you know, you can achieve whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be, you know, because they have, you know, calm and they do a lot of positive mental attitude stuff with the GCSE kids, which it's like, you know, you're 15, you know, you don't want to get to age 15 and it's like, oh yeah, positive mental attitude, you know, it's like we need to be teaching that a lot more within schools from that, you know, from that early age. Yeah, I think a, a really interesting one that's kind of, as we're talking that through, makes me think about headspace to do things though so you know what we expect of kids when they're they're sitting in you know let's say they've been you know double science maths now you've got to go and be creative for 40 yeah. minutes and you've got to get into that space you've got to do it and then you've got to go on to something else so the challenge i imagine as a teacher is to how do you get value out of a short you know an hour-long session if, if that yeah. if you've got that much time um yeah. and how do you get them in the right mind frame but then how do you deal with some kids who have got natural ability and inclination to do it and some kids who are not naturally talented therefore not, none of us are motivated to do things we're not good at yeah. so it's that's the challenge i think we see oh no definitely and engage, engaging those children this is what i would find a lot in teaching is that you know i can't do that Miss. it's like no but you can you know this negative mindset that i can't but i think as a society it's like we've got to win we've got to be the best we can't fail and a lot of that is bred down into our children isn't it I see it a lot obviously with my coaching clients and yeah. with the girls and I do some work with um, sort of higher education students as well. And it's this big issue around growth and fixed mindset. Yeah. And what, what doesn't help in the traditional education setting is for most things, there's a right or wrong answer. The kids aren't encouraged to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, you know, kids aren't encouraged to take risks because the pressure that you're under as a teacher yeah. is to hit certain targets. And what's so interesting is then when that translates into the workspace, all of a sudden people want people to bring ideas to the table and they want people to be innovative. Yet you've, you've been educated yeah. in a culture where there's a right or wrong answer. I imagine that's why you're, you know, I don't know, obviously we've been as well. That's why your workshops are so interesting because there's a framework but how you, you know, attempt that framework and, you know, you try different things. Like we did the muffins. It's like, we'll see what happens if you put certain ingredients yeah. in. Is it going to look any yeah. different? Yeah. And that's what I love about cooking, especially baking rather than sort of the cooking side, yeah. is that you can experiment. And there's only mm -hmm. a small percentage of that experiment makes it inedible. <laughs> Most yeah. things are edible <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> and it is, it's like that yes or no. And I totally, I totally get it. And it is hard for the children to swap and change but then it's like the whole you know how we do school at secondary school has not changed has it you know like we sit in rows you come in the bell goes and uh, it's just it's not taught going back to kind of taking that step to them being obviously self-employed what was that like light bulb moment that was it a light bulb moment or did it happen over time that allowed you to make that transition because i think that's really interesting for people because yeah. i think we take it for granted that you've you've taken two jumps essentially in your life to very different career paths although it's always relating to food from your own perspective how did that come to be how did you go from education which you said in your own words was quite comfortable even though it was quite frustrating at times to then yeah. literally stepping away from that and going it alone 
So I think it was whilst I was on maternity leave, uh, yeah, four years ago with Hugo, uh, with this thought of, right, what am I going to do? Going back, full-time, part-time. I was like, yeah, I need to do part-time. And then it was like, Ooh, really? Like, going to go part-time? You know, you're learning how to be a mum. You don't really have a clue what you're doing. You sort of, and the sort of like, I was a bit disgruntled at that time, you know, having my child, but with the whole, the whole, you know, with my job, and it's like, well, there's got to be, you know, another way. And then thinking time of having Hugo and like, you're sort of thinking about work-life balance because that's important, isn't it? We all go on about it, but uh, yeah, some probably achieve it more than others. Um, and so it was like, well, after maternity that I started developing lots of ideas and hatching a plan, but it wasn't until it sort of took from being on maternity to things coming into fruition, to me handing in my notice, like almost two years ago. So it was a long, a long burn, but I have got OCD with planning. Um, and so it was like, I tried to get everything done before I was, you know, before I handed my notice in. So it was like, want to do my branding, want to do this, want to do that, and plan my workshops and do my leaflets and do all this stuff, you know, get all this stuff done because I can't start my business without all this. I've got a different view on that now, but um, had all this stuff that I needed to do and um, had to do it all. My friend sort of said to me, she was like, well, when you're when you going to end your noticing? And we're like, ooh, yeah, I need to do that. Don't act nothing's going to change unless I do have me noticing. She's like, you just need to end your noticing. I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> so I did, and then that was that. I was like, oh, so am I doing the right thing? She's like, of course you are. I'm like, yeah, but I'm scared. And I was... <laughs> I was. It's scary. Still Absolutely. am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still am. <laughs> and that's good though, you know, to yeah. be a bit, not scared, but to be challenged, I think. So today we're going to be looking at how being in lockdown has affected how we shop, cook and eat. So in one word, how has that affected you, Clara? Sustainability. Ben? Creativity. Alison? Frugal. Um, I think I'm going to jump on the creativity as well because that is genuinely what's had to happen. That's not one word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that just summarises me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One rule for us. Brilliant. Brilliant. (laughs) Alison, you've kindly prepared a blog which is available on the Nurture website and it's all about frugal cooking and how the pandemic and COVID has affected us all in relation to cooking and our habits. And I just thought it'd be really interesting to speak to you as you are the expert in cooking uh, on how it's actually influenced you personally and your family. So what things have changed for you in relation to cooking and feeding your family? Yeah, I think um, for us, much more planning. Yeah, Tim, my husband. Here we'll bob here, bob there, you know, to the co-op, to the butchers, buy this, buy that. And it's like, we can't be doing that, but we need to change that because it costs more money. And obviously with the whole pandemic, you know, we need to be reducing the number of times that we're going out to the shops. So for us, it's been planning planning ahead and going, right, what, what, what are we going to make? Also, you know, what we got left in the fridge? What can we eke out until we go shopping again? You know, oh, my goodness, mate, I haven't got any bananas. Will you be all right without no bananas for two or three days? Yeah, you probably will, you know, so you don't really need to go and get them. So I think 
you know, sort of like we have knee-jerk reactions, don't we, to um, to sometimes our eating habits. Um, what what I've sort of done is sort of tried to stop to react to those, plan better, and get rid of the bitting and the bobbing. Totally agree. The thing that's been really apparent to us is that shopping thing. So we shop online every week, but we probably plan about for maximum of five meals within that shop um, and we don't think we realized how much other shopping we were doing um, until we've kind of said right we're doing a shop we can get it delivered every week and all of a sudden our bill has almost doubled um, by shopping online for actually everything we need for the whole week um, so it's made us just become a lot more conscious about what we're spending what we're buying how we're using what we buy quite surprising can't it when you're doing your click and collect because I I sort of used to do click and collect when we was running the, you know, like the workshops for cooking school, but I've sort of gone back old school a little bit um, and to, to go into the shop uh, with my shopping list. Um, and it has, it has, you know, it has changed, hasn't it? You know, sort of like the way that we do things. I've definitely found that as well, like in terms of the bill and the amount of money that we're spending on food. But interestingly, we've done it the opposite way. So um, I've, as we all have, have tried to not go out. Obviously, we're not allowed to. But Rosa's, she had like hooping cough when she was little. So I really haven't been going to any shops. So I've been managing to get like a click and collect. So we've been doing the click and collect. But then I've also started to shop more locally, but just go into town like once in a week. So at the weekend, go to the uh, market, which is within Litchfield, and get any fruit and vegetables. Because did you know, it's up to 88, I think, items on Tesco. So sometimes when we're needing bits that you can't get, say from the fruit and veg market, I've been getting the extras there. But that's how much shopping we've done whereas like you were saying Ben before I'd just be like nipping to the co-op or I'd be going to a little Tesco or I'd be you know and actually I'll be honest I wasn't using the local veg market that was very rare thing for me to do. For us it's a similar thing we really struggled at first getting food even though we have two like little Tesco metros, whatever they're called, or Sainsbury's local. Obviously, it was pushing the food bill up through the roof because they've got the premium on that. But we started a local fruit and veg box from Sutton Coalfield. So they, so at first, it was just a case we did it out of desperation, I suppose, because I was like, I can't get any of the supermarkets we normally go to. I wasn't prepared to go into a supermarket and do the shop. I like the idea of sort of, you know, keeping that away. And actually now we've gone from just having a fruit and veg box for desperation to having a subscription service. So once a week we have a plastic free fruit and veg box. And what's really nice about that in terms of obviously the creativity that Ben and Charlotte mentioned is that we don't always know what's going to be in there. So the kids are being a lot more adventurous or maybe less insistent about what they're going to eat because I'm like, well, you know, we have seven apples a week. You know, Lily can get through three apples a day when she's on one. But actually the apples we get from this um, local greengrocers are nicer than the ones you get in the shop. So she's appreciating it more. And, and I think that's been a, a really big shift for us is just not having that convenience anymore. And actually food is our only sort of luxury. Yeah, food's our only luxury at the moment. So it's just taken on a whole different dynamic as well. Yeah, no, that that's um that's interesting what you were saying about sort of like going local 
you know, sort of tea, fruit and veg because these places, like, they do exist. And I think pe- a lot of people are going out, they back to the local, mm. not high street, but, you know, the local villagers and sort of like using local suppliers, like we use a local butcher, which is great and better than getting it, you know, like from the supermarket. It's interesting what you were saying about um, making the food last and your mentality towards making it last. You know, so it's like you will eat that. You don't eat that, there's nothing else. Whereas before it'd be like, oh, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, have another yogurt. Yeah, you're not really eating all your dinner or you've not. Yeah, you can have another bagel. You've, You've just had your toast. You sort of like you really start to think about, you know, what your children and you are consuming that normally you'd be you just wouldn't even bat an eyelid to um, it's interesting is um we use the word creative and the reason why i uh, jumped on that as well ben was because um we've actually been getting creative in terms of because we've got more time we've been involving the children in the act of cooking and getting them involved in like almost planning towards it as well so like it's an activity cooking rather than before it would be something that I would primarily do and then I might put it on the table and they can pick what they want whereas now they're actually getting involved in actually cooking as well and like particularly Robin he absolutely loves cooking like every day is like what can we cook today to a point where um, Mark really likes these cookies but we keep cooking these cookies and Robin's gone, do we really have to cook these cookies again, Dad? <laughs> He's absolutely sick of these cookies, but we really like them. Um, but that will really change because I didn't realise, which I know sounds quite quite silly, but how much you can make out of so little ingredients like gingerbread biscuits and cookies and brownies. Today, a neighbour's just made some scones and I didn't realise how like simple scones were. I've never made a scone in my life. I'm going to attempt it. It might not look like a scone. But that's amazing how much you can create out of so little. And I'm so used to just going to the shop. If I want um, um, something like that, I will just buy it off the shelf. Pre-made, pre-packed. And yeah, it probably won't even last an hour with my kids. I think we're, we're so used to shopping for convenience. We're so, so used to shopping not locally because it's not as convenient. I think what's going to be interesting as we come through this sort of lockdown and pandemic um, is what I've started to see is local businesses are now gearing up and using the technology, using social media channels. Um, now, I think a number of them were doing that already, but what's happened is there's been a shift from being a push mentality of these local suppliers telling people we're here, please listen to us, to actually loads of people in the community saying, where are you? We want to find you. So now people who have found those channels and found those channels work. And like you said, Clara, actually I'm getting better quality. I've got a consistency of what I'm getting when. And I think there's a bit of a there's part of me that's kind of said, oh, you know, when we do our online shop, they give me an option to have so many of the same things in your basket every week. I'm like, no, 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 we don't shop for the same things. And then every week I go in and click the same things and the same things. I'm like, no, that's just boring. But I'm a creature of habit and I think as, as humans we are. So in reality, we can go to those local suppliers for our fruit and veg every week when this finishes. Their supply, their, their ordering systems, their online paying systems have probably all come on a few steps because of this. And what would be great is if we can hopefully continue as a result of this affecting our lives in this way, that we continue to shop in that way and don't just slip into our old habits. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it would be pretty awesome. And, and you know, plus by what Charlotte was saying about the whole cooking, you know, because people through like the cooking lessons that I you know, have done and they're like, oh, I don't have time for doing this, don't have time for doing that. And it's like all of a sudden you've got masses of time, even though it goes, seems to go really quickly. Um, and that we're making this time in our day. And it's like we were saying before about having that mindset to be able to do it and, you know, cooking with your family, cooking with your children is not the, you know, it's not as bad as what you think it might be. In fact, it could actually be fun and, and you know, an enjoyable experience. And like Charlotte was saying, it's a fantastic way of encouraging the children, you know, to eat stuff that maybe they wouldn't. Yeah. See, with us, with Scott, you know, working from home, his commute's disappeared. And basically he's using that time to perfect his homemaking bread. So, you know, frustrating for me, it's not gluten-free. But that again, you know, it's lovely that you can, like we've talked about, when you when you taste something that's made from scratch, it's not full of additives and preservatives and stuff to keep it on the shelf forever. You can really feel the difference. And obviously, you know, some of that is positive because it affects your, your wallet. And when you can get hold of bread, obviously, bread flour and things. But there is that whole element of, of realizing what like real food looks like and it was um I was doing some school work with Lily yesterday about sort of VE day party celebrations it was so interesting reading their party food so if you bear in mind you know within 24 hours they've gone from well they're, they're on rations for years afterwards but from being in a war situation to celebrating and I was saying to Lily what what do you think the party food was and she was obviously chucking out cupcakes and things it's like well no it was it was sandwiches <laughs> with beef dripping was it homily pie which was like potatoes leeks onions and cheese that's party food and I think in in a weird way obviously we're nowhere in anywhere those thankfully touch wood those types of of conditions but we're in a situation now where we're really appreciating food for what it is it's not just something that you do to get through the day it's an experience where you sit down obviously we've talked about the kids getting involved but actually I think we are so time pressed in normal situations we've almost forgotten that we can we can do this and it's you know it's fine we don't have to fill our thing you know fill our days with other things when this all ends if we want to turn off the telly and make a loaf of bread which we wouldn't have even considered before what i find as well is it's having somebody like yourself alison that inspires me to think about things differently so obviously all recipes exist there's all different recipes out there and it's so easy to literally google certain things that you want to cook or whatever and it it pops straight away but what i think has been really um incredible working with you alison through nurture but also bringing my children to your workshops as well is that it's something that's seen as an activity. So like we're saying now, it's like a transition from, oh, I'm just going to eat this because it's my dinner to actually something that you can actually enjoy doing to a point where like, if I would need to crack an egg, my two are like, can I crack the egg, mom? Can I crack the egg, mom? And it's like, it's, it's exciting for them as well. And actually for me personally, that's so nice because I really do enjoy cooking and my mom and my dad are really good at cooking. So I've always lived within um, homes because my mom and dad split, but they always cook. And my nan was an amazing cook. However, I think because of the convenience of things these days, I'm very aware that, yeah, I do really like cooking, but I just don't really have the time usually to like cook like a massive meal. So I'll probably put something in the slow cooker or do something like that. But I think 
what I would personally like to do after this is to still make that time to cook. So whether it's uh, an afternoon or it's um, at the weekend. But I think by being associated with somebody like you, Alison, who's always got new recipes or ideas, it really um, it encourages me to still do it as well because it can be quite frustrating sometimes cooking with little ones, let's face it. I think, I think like you were saying, it's a process as well. So like children and a lot of adults, understanding like where the food comes from. So it's like, oh yeah, I like colours and yeah, but what, you know, what meat's in it? Where does that meat come from? What animal does it come from? What vegetables are we going to put in it? What pasta are we going to put in it? How are we going to cook it? And it's this whole thing that starts to then unravel and people are a little bit, or can be mystified by recipes because we don't have an understanding of the fundamental and I think that's why it's so important to make time you know to to cook you know like as a family or with your children you know where's that egg come from you know what is this meat what animal is it from yeah we get our meat from animals and not being frightened or, or shy about about that and then totally totally get you know totally getting it because some children might just get food, you know, processed food in a package and have no concept of its journey. That makes sense, sort of like, you know, where it's, where it's come from or, you know, what country does it even come from? And I think sort of this time that we have, it is, it is precious and should be, like, you know, used so that the kids can, you know, get a greater, greater involvement in it. I think absolutely. And that point you make about, you know, where food comes from in a, in a world where we're talking about sustainability, in a world where we're becoming ever more conscious about the impact that we have on the environment, really understanding, you know, just little things like fruit, food that can be grown at home down the road is coming to us with miles and miles of air miles on it and costs and things associated with it and less flavour than, than it can be. And it's like, why are we why are we substituting convenience for quality um and not supporting our local community and infrastructure economic infrastructure why are we supporting that we're com- supporting it for convenience and it just you know it, this needs to open our eyes hopefully a bit having a, a similar conversation with my mom as having a sort of being a bit evangelical about my new fruit and veg box and are saying how at the moment they don't deliver berries because it's got plastic and they you know they make sure everything that they do deliver doesn't have plastic and we're still getting our berries from the shops and sometimes you open it and it's it's starting to rot even before you've opened it and she was saying how so my mom's um was born in the mid 50s that she always ate seasonally like my grandma would go to the market there'd be like four apples for the week and they'd only have strawberries at certain times like my my uncle's birthday in july was the last day they'd have strawberries and actually you know i'm noticing that with the fruit box that i buy you know the, the sort of the fr- the fruit and veg well it's mostly veg that we get in the box stuff they can get their hands on depending on the cost like apparently broccoli went through the roof about two weeks ago so there was no broccoli in there you know i didn't realize there was a whole like market around this but apparently it is because of sort of supply and demand but again it's like we're we've almost been and i think this came up in your ssc presentation charlotte you'll have to remind me the name of the organization but they were saying how we have been influenced by the supermarkets to view our food to look in a particular way you know the fact that wonky food wonky fruit has only just started coming out as a brand because that was rejected for years and years and years when you know we buy a bag of carrots to chop up they have to look in a particular way or they have to be a particular color 
And I think that's something that, that is really interesting for me, that actually to even know that, and I think I discovered that at like 39, <laughs> that fruit and veg only look the way they look because the supermarkets tell us. So I think, yeah, that food journey is so important. Yeah, and I think it's like that, we have that instant access, don't we? We expect everything. This is not just food, but society in general, isn't it? I want strawberries in December. I will have strawberries in December. We've no sort of like thinking, well, actually, is it seasonal? And, you know, more often than not, if it's not seasonal, it's going to be, exp- you know, it's going to be expensive. So having that comprehension of, like, there's a reason why you can't buy it, you know, at certain times of years, because, like, you know, you've just been saying, Clara, it, you know, it's not available and not available for a reason. And it's like, just because you can get it, you know, should you be getting it, you know, just because you can do something, you know, should you be doing it? And um, it is it is quite interesting because everything is just available all the time and I think you know the way that the pandemic has, has affected has really changed our mindset so things aren't instant anymore and I think with you guys and what you've been speaking about we've been heavily influenced by convenience so the stores have actually tailored what they think we want based on what they can make in revenue and based on the relationships they actually have with these suppliers And I think actually my background is retail and I've got probably some understanding more than most on on how that operates and how that works. But it's really interesting because it is based on relationships that that supermarket intends to make and sustain. So what I've noticed is like in the local co-op that I've gone to, I've only gone twice during this whole time. It's literally on my doorstep but they've started to have like more local suppliers in. So they're actually having to make local relationships and connections. Whereas before they would have had a chosen relationship with say um, a provider of meat based on the revenue that it was going to make them at the end of the day. And actually they might not want us to know that, but that is, that is the reality of it. So I hope in that perspective that that will actually change because i think it's going to have to based on the fact of us with brexit based on the fact with the pandemic everything's leading to this idea that we can't like you're saying live within this like global network and rely on it and actually what we're saying is do we even want to eat strawberries in december because actually it's really nice to to follow like you're saying, Claire, within those boxes, the, the fruit and vegetables that are seasonal as well. And I think that that's, that's quite an interesting time to be, to be living in for our children as well, for us to kind of, lessons to be learnt. It's almost like we're going back in time, isn't it? You know, sort of like I remember like going down to the green grocers with my mum when I was little, you know, and you get your brown bags with your bananas and stuff and then you go to the butcher's. And it, it is, it's like it's going back in time, how things used to be. You know, you would cook with mum, you would cook with grandma. You know, now people just don't. And I think it's, it's like COVID, it's a weird one, you know, as in it's, it's not, not great existence, but it's also the time for great reflection and to actually look at what we have got and what we can do, you know, because we're all so busy that, well, we can't do that. I haven't got time to do this. But actually, I think embedding different routines you know so it might be on a Sunday you meal plan and batch cook you know for the week because you've got into cooking you want to eat fresh spaghetti bolognese or fresh lasagna you don't want to buy that frozen stuff 
anymore and people just thinking that well i can do that it's possible i think that's it i think the interesting thing for me we've talked about time a lot and um i would like to think when we come through and we're, we're free to roam again that i've learned lessons from this and i'll use my time uh, more effectively but i'm also conscious that things you know happen and you, time is still a pressure that impacts without a doubt on on food preparation and food cooking you know, i have always loved cooking and what i would say is probably in the last 10 years of my life i've done the least cooking that i've ever done and that's because of time pressures it's because of work it's because of having young kids around but probably what i'll consciously look to try and do is is look at those recipes that are full of flavors that i love eating but are quick and easy to prepare so now and again i might be able to do that weekend batch cooking thing but it's probably not something i'll be able to do or commit to do every weekend uh, probably not something i'll be able to convince the family to do every weekend <laughs> but looking at those you know 15 minute meals 20 minute meals that are full of nice flavors full of things i can put together and start to bring those in you know in the early days of, of shutdown things like pasta sauces and all that sort of stuff just went and we would buy those things for convenience but we went back and we created them from scratch and we were like this is better we enjoy it more and wow it only took 15 minutes to create that great flavored thing and it just feels nicer eating it so I think a big drawdown for me a big lesson learned for me is don't always have to commit to making something massive or over the top just do something quick and easy deb's always little anecdote deb's always uh, laughs at me because i love my cooking so much and we were in one weekend i think we had the, i think we had finn and jonah at probably about four and two at the time and i said well why don't we just do something quick why don't we just do homemade pasta and she just laughed at me like i made an absolute state of the kitchen the homemade pasta didn't work out and she just pulled out a pack of pasta out of the fridge and she was like let's just use this instead but that's typical of me but so what i'm learning is rain it back in rain it back in and just do the easy stuff yeah, I think you're right. You know, I, I've never been a natural cook. I, be, I bake, love baking, but with I think what I've always struggled with with cooking is it seems to be much more of an exact science. Uh, sorry, no, the other way around. Baking's better because it's an exact science because I can follow a recipe, but cooking is a little bit more, um, you can get creative and I get quite stressed about trying to get it out at the same time. And, you know, like Ben, it's about simplicity. So I'm notoriously cheap ridiculously cheap so that's why I won't use um, the convenience of stuff because I sort of look at it and think well you know why why is it costing so much but we started meal planning probably about five months ago to save money and then with everything that started to happen we moved into like the batch cook so we do things like um, if I'm making um, pasta I'll do a, a, a sauce but half of it will go into the freezer to then be like a pizza topping and then I'll just chuck a load of vegetables in and then that'll be the pizza topping. Or if we're, um, if, you know, we're cooking a load of mince for a lasagna, half of it will go like and stay in the fridge and then we heat it up again for tacos or something like that. And I think that's helped. The, the drive was always finance, always, always finance. It wasn't about fresh ingredients. It wasn't about all of that. But actually that's, I've sort of discovered a, a love and like I'll, I'll take risk and I'll try I'll try different things where before I'd always cook exactly the same thing because if they wouldn't eat it, that would frustrate me because of the waste of money. Now we're in a situation that we eat what we've got. Like I made like um, a ratatouille the other week because there was an aubergine and some courgettes in the vegetable box. Like I never would have chosen those because I think the kids won't eat them. Grace set enough to stop being hungry. I mean, Scott loved it and Lily basically had fish. And she just had like an orange dinner. She had like fish fingers and chips. I pick my battles where I can, but I would never have gone out of my way to make that. So it's sort of interesting, like the, the, 
the um, the rationing, I suppose, in terms of what's available is is generating cooking confidence, I think, with me. And what you've just said, what I found that I, I think will be a lesson learned for us is like, I don't have a lot of like storage for things. So I've been doing that. So we've been hiding vegetables because my two, I try and give them chunky, but it just got to a point where like, they were like, yeah. Ugh. so I like deconstruct a meal so I feel like okay if they can at least eat a bit of pasta and not the tomatoes but a bit of the chicken winner whereas if I put it all in together which me and Mark will have they might just not eat it so we've been getting the vegetables and based on them going out of date but wanting to still use them we've done what you've done Clara where we've whizzed it all down and created like a bolognese sauce or we've then used it for a pizza topping but then what I've found is I've got no like containers so I've been like saving all my like <laughs> glass containers but I tried to do it with hot dogs wasn't good <laughs> we had these hot dogs from years ago and we got that desperate <laughs> during lockdown that we had to make them and I really did, had to be convinced right and then after I was like oh we can put the sauce in this massive jar and then I was like no we can't <laughs> so sometimes you can't do that but on a lot of occasions we've been reusing things but things that I need for the future I will actually invest in like you know glass containers for example that I can keep reusing whereas before I wouldn't have even thought about it and I think it's like I know it's my strap line but it's like nourishment and nutrition for all isn't it on every level you know whether it's you're making a pasta sauce or you're going all out and and making the pasta you know you can access it you know at any level and that's got to feel good you know sort of like whatever it is you try you make it doesn't have to be complicated and this is what I sort of try and it's only as complicated as you make it that it's oh you can't do that it's you know it's too complicated and you put all these barriers in the way when actually it's quite simple you know you just look for you know the easy recipes there are not many you know there are not many steps for people to to have a go have a go at doing and you know success is is on many different levels depending on where you're starting from doesn't it i've been using and i really recommend it wilmot dairy which is in litchfield but then you can use milk and more and i think they use local um suppliers as well but they've started to be able to deliver like bread and orange juice and things like that and it's interesting because if you look like for like at like obviously milk within a supermarket it is obviously a little bit more expensive however I've got to say it tastes so good like I and like this is what I've noticed as well it might seem like you're paying more for say that veg box but actually the ingredients within them are so much nicer than actually just buying you know a bag of normal carrots and I'm not saying I'm going to completely go the opposite way but I think I've got a new appreciation for ingredients and I'm more willing to spend extra pennies on better ingredients if I know they're coming from locally sourced places I'm supporting someone within the community and it also tastes better like why would you not do that? I think so many more people are shopping ethically and I think it started um, you know ages ago in terms of you know cosmetics and clothes and the businesses that we deal with and I think actually the, the, the ethical shopping for food I think has been pushed forward 
because of this because we are it is so convenient like I know I did something a few weeks ago for a local independent um so they they deliver like a supermarket but they're all independent suppliers it's an independent butcher independent grocer there's a baker that does something scratch and obviously I think what what we all have to allow for initially is the inconvenience of shopping ethically and locally because like Ben said they're not all necessarily set up like the big supermarkets where you've got an app on your phone and you just click and you have all these types of things and I think we all we've we've been so we're having to change so many things about our lives at the moment. The change that we're going through to shop and eat actually feels relatively easy because it's something we can control. Um, and I know for me, if this hadn't have happened and I wasn't forced to make the change, I, even though I feel like I'm an ethical shopper, the convenience would have always overwhelmed that. But also ethical doesn't necessarily have to mean premium. And that for me has been a lesson because if you go into a supermarket, organic is deemed as being the premium. That's how I deem it. And you have to pay more because it looks nicer or it's in a different packaging. Whereas I think actually ethical can just mean that, like you're saying, Clary, you're supporting other people. And I'm actually, as a consumer, and this is what we're saying, more interested in like that story and if it tastes good as well rather than it just being cheerful and cheap and not knowing or being premium and organic just because it's in a nicer box and I think that's going to be quite an interesting development that we will see from the retailers in the future on how they're going to um they're going to support like consumers really with what they shop and and eat and for you Alison I think it'll be interesting because I think there's a genuine interest and um people are willing to invest more in those skills and i think that that's only going to be a good thing that's going to come out of such an awful situation that hopefully it changes people's perspective on on food and what they can do with it yeah no i you know i hope so you know because it's like food is pivotal but at this you know in the covid times it's like that's our only thing isn't it like you just said that you can control you know like what you're putting in your basket where you you know which shops are you choosing to to shop from um and you know it's, it's important isn't it you know sort of like going forwards that people you know can do that and hopefully you know they will have this this passion and um be engaged by it and think well actually yeah I would like to learn more about that and it you know food just not being something that you eat widening people's aspirations for them thinking well actually yeah I would like to cook that I think you know looking at it from a nurture perspective we we talk about health wealth and happiness and worship food have come on the journey with us from from a very early stage of nurture for me you know we talk a lot about how we balance our lives and food is a fundamental part of our life so there might be people listening to this or might be people who haven't got this far into this who don't aren't that interested in food it doesn't float their boat but at the end of the day we've all got to eat and it will have an influence on our health the way we eat it will have an influence on how we spend our time and money and it will have an influence on on how happy or or not we are when we're having when we're cooking and eating with people so for me it's fundamental that we look at it as nurture but what i really hope that people from take from sort of covid is just becoming a little bit more conscious about how food 
plays in their lives, the effect that it's having on their health, their wealth and their happiness, and whether they want to make any little changes as a result of kind of opening their eyes and having a little bit of headspace to think about it, maybe just make a tweak or there, take the opportunity to uh, to have a positive impact on a, on a balanced life. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? And just like people making those little, just little changes that, you know, they might not have done before. And the value of food in terms of like, through this crisis, there's been obviously the emergency food banks. There's been, there's a St. James in Mere Green, which is more towards certain, but they've been delivering hot meals directly to people's doors. And I think actually for me, it's my, my mom's done this for someone. She's cooked, say, a large lasagna, but co- cooked another little one and actually delivered it to a neighbor. And it's actually that idea that food, sharing food and the value of that is so important and thinking about other people in that context. Because for me, I know when I haven't had food in the cupboard during this crisis, I've felt panicked about the fact that I can't feed my family, which is very irrational. But you know, everybody has the right to eat good food and it should be available to everybody. And I think what I've took from this situation is that there is a lot of value in that and that schools have stepped up and churches and community centres to do that. And that's not going to be a bad thing either. It's, it's understanding that food doesn't have to be for the privileged Food should be something that everybody can enjoy and feel inspired about. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have specific ingredients. Like you said, Alison, that's what Worship Food Cookery School does. It's about using what you have and being creative in how you use it. Nurture Community CIC engage with the community in person and online through events to reduce isolation and increase community spirit. The bi-weekly podcast Nurture Natter is hosted by the Nurture Community CIC. We're a collective of souls who are on a mission to help families get that wonderful balance of health, wealth and happiness, bringing communities together to inspire and support each other. Carry on the conversation with us online within our Facebook group Nurture Natter or use the hashtag NNPodcast on Instagram and Twitter you can find us at Nurture Ideas.